Hello, hello, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies, and I am so excited today. We have a very unique guest with us, uh, and I hope we get a few moments of laughter today. Uh, this is Tony Kent, and uh, we are gonna, she's already laughing. This is good, Tony. We're on a good start here. That you, <laughs> um, Tony has a multitude of different skills and talents. One of them is emceeing and also being a stand-up comedian. Uh, and I'm just delighted that she's here today. We're going to be talking about her journey to financial empowerment as a woman. Uh, and really, there's an incredible story behind this. So welcome, Tony. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I've gone for some sparkle and it says, oh, yeah, yeah, Friday, it's Friday. I know we love Fridays. Well, we filmed the podcast live on Fridays. Those of you who might be listening to it, you can always join us live on Fridays uh, at 10 a.m. That's when we film it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and so I'm really glad you're here. So you and I met uh, when you were hosting an event with one of our tech pixies, uh, yeah. Rachel. and. Yeah, and it was the Gossip Girl event. It was great. It was a really yeah. great event. The founder of Scamp and Dude was there, yeah. who I, I now have lost a lot of money to her company. Yeah, <laughs> it's some good stuff. <laughs> some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. so, um, and we were all telling our stories about how we set up our businesses and everything else. So when you're an MC, you don't get to tell your story. So I'm really excited to have you here to tell your story. Um, you have a unique story to financial empowerment and financial independence. Tell us where it started. So, and I'll, I'll see if I can do a positive history. When I was growing up, I grew up on a council estate and my parents had very low paid jobs. So they both worked, but they didn't earn very much money at all. And they had four children. And then uh, my dad died when I was a teenager. And I saw how um, going from low income to being reliant on benefits, I mean, that is significantly impacts what you can afford to eat you know everything everything really impacts your life um and then my mum had um a couple more children and it was really 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 tough for her amazingly tough i i just it you know that experience and watching her struggle informed my whole life so i did spend a couple of years just going wild off the rails completely off the rails but I made a really conscious decision that I, I did not want to be in that financially a precarious position and I thought that I could fix it initially by right I just need to go to work I just need to get a job so I got a job in a fruit and veg shop and you think I was getting like 70 pounds a week cash in hand I was like that yes I can go to the pub with a 50 pound note but it wasn't long before I realized that that is not by any stretch a meaningful amount of money to earn so I got a second chance education I went to college I did A-levels and then I was offered uni but I couldn't afford to go to university although it was funded at the time I couldn't afford to live somewhere else had no income nothing to fall back on so I took a vocational course I learned to touch type and I was fast and I learned about what it means to go to an office. And then I got a job working for uh, Reed Employment in Reading. And I was surrounded by positive female role models who could afford their own cars, um, had started buying houses. And one girl in particular, Donna, who's a very good friend of mine, she had a BMW. So I was like, I want that. And she said to me, Tony, you could do, you could, you could have this if you do sales. So, um, some early positive female role models who were making meaningful amounts of money 
demonstrated to me that it was possible. Whereas the women I had grown up with all had very low income jobs. You know, my mum would say, will not you find yourself a little job? And I thought, I don't want a little job. I want to be MW. <laughs> you know, the one thing about stories that I find so interesting is as you're listening to somebody else's story, it triggers memories you forgot, you know, in your own life. And a little bit of the idea of this podcast is to share other people's stories, but also to share a little bit of mine. And, and one of the things that you said that was really interesting was you were surrounded by positive female role models. And the very first job I had, there were women that were making a boatload of money who were not happy. They were drinking too much. They never saw their children. Their marriages were failing. And I looked at them when I was in my 20s and I said, I want to be as far away from this as possible. And that's it's really interesting that your first job was was around women who were happy and had money and could do stuff with it, you know, like the BMW. Mm -hmm. And I was surrounded by women who just were miserable. And it's, I've never thought about that experience until now, really, uh, in mm. the context of what you just said, because it mm. does matter, doesn't it, that you can see people that are doing what you want to do or being what you want to be or having what you want to have. And, you know, not everyone does it the same way. And, you know, mm. in that case, you've got someone who's um, doing well and they're also well in themselves versus the situation where I was at where they were doing well but they weren't well in themselves and it was a yeah it was really interesting so so you so so keep telling me about this journey you ended up having this massive career you did you get mm -hmm. your BMW well I did so reader I got my BMW um what happened was I really wanted to move fast because there's an element of I well I left home I'd moved to a new town so I had to make friends again which is so hard to leave your family and friends and have to begin again so I was renting a room and it was a, a house where the landlord was dodgy and he had his mates around and one of them knocked on the door I was in my bedroom and he was like oh do you want to come downstairs for brandy and I was like no thanks went, oh are you naked so you know I was in a, a house that was weird and I was not making enough money to rent somewhere better. So I thought, OK, great. I've, I've seen these great female role models, but I'm not making enough money here. I'm not progressing quickly enough. So I luckily I worked for a recruitment agency. They found me my next job um, and I went to work for a freight company, which was solely staffed by men. And they were so disgusting. I mean, just just disgusting. Like, you know, you knew what went on in the toilet. They would announce it as they came out. Um, However, we did have a lot of fun. I got to travel for the first time for work. I got to do a, what do they call it? A hand, it sounds like dirty. It's a hand delivery. Um, but I flew with like 6,000 Nokia phones to Helsinki. I just had to be on the plane with this delivery. So I got to do some really cool stuff. And I remember ringing a friend back home in Basingstoke saying, oh my God, Hayley, I'm in this like hotel lounge and the piano is playing itself. And <laughs> I was just thinking this was, I was experiencing all these things that were so out of reach for me where I grew up. So I was thriving on that. Um, so I went to Freight Company again, not moving quickly enough. I only had a Fiesta there, a very old Fiesta with no stereo. Um, and then I got a job by accident, kind of working for an IT company. So I decided I wanted to do sales admin. 
And a lesson I learned here actually was I went for the interview and I got turned down and I was incensed. I, I thought, hang on a minute, I've got the skills to do this and you were really nice to me in the interview. Why have you not hired me? And I phoned them up and said, could you tell me why? And they said, oh, actually, the person we hired only lasted a week. Do you want to come in? And I thought, well, great. I mean, this should have been an indicator that maybe they were uh, interesting to work for because this is sales, very male dominated. Um, but I learned that that was where I could make meaningful money. And um, there was an incident where we had a company night out. We went to Birmingham and uh, one of the salespeople that I supported was going, come and have a look at this, Tony. And I thought, I don't like the sound of that. Um, but he wanted to show me his, his bank balance, nothing else. Um, and it was massive. But yeah, he, he had 25,000 pounds in his current account and he was 23. And again, so my driver was, I do not want to have the level of disadvantage that I'd grown up with. And it is things like having to borrow money to go on holiday with your friends. You know, I didn't want to be the one that had to always borrow money. I used to have to go and see neighbours to ask for a toilet roll. You know, it's things that kind of the shame and the struggle attached with that. So I don't want that. So um, I stayed in IT. I stayed in sales. I got my BMW. And then I went to work for a software company. And what was interesting there was there were some very good, again, female role models who I didn't have a degree and I found out later it was unusual for them to have hired someone that didn't have a degree, but I did have the experience. Um, and what was really interesting was in the recruitment process, the hiring manager asked for a personal reference and I gave her the phone number of a friend who um, had been on holiday to Falaraki with me when I was 17. Now, this is risky on my part, you know, <laughs> I was saying, speak to this girl, she'll tell you something about me. But she told her about how I'd visited my friend in hospital every day. She'd been really ill. Lots of people were afraid to go. Um, but my family were always in hospital. So I loved it. I was just like walking the corridors going, hi, Dr. Darmady. And the, the hiring manager said that told her something about my character. Um, so that was for me learning about in hindsight, I could say she was hiring inclusively and looking at emotional intelligence and looking beyond what degree status you may have or may not have. Um, and again, so the, the role models that I had there, you know, those women were having fun. They were making money. They were establishing themselves. Um, and at that point, we were kind of all meeting our partners, getting married, um, going through stuff together again traveling for work which is great fun um but the thing i guess if we're looking at the financial side of things a couple of things that have always been with me was that i never lived beyond my means and i always put money away so whilst i really did want a bmw and i and i had two in the end not at the same time i had an older one then a newer one um i never went for a porsche or a lamborghini or a ferrari i never had a chanel handbag it, that was, you know, I thought if I had a chunk of cash, I would put that into the mortgage. Um, so I I always had a sense of whilst I enjoyed having money and earning good money, I didn't sort of take it for granted and I didn't just spend it as soon as I got it. I, I can be quite impulsive. I mean, I bought my second car. I walked into the showroom and went, I'll have that one, please. But I had a car allowance. So eventually 
I got, uh, the company I worked for got bought by Microsoft. So then I was in that truly, truly corporate world. And that is a whole nother level of people saying, I've bought an investment property. I've been to Hatton Gardens and I've bought this diamond. I've been to Bora Bora for my honeymoon. You know, all there's a, this is a, all sorts of other stuff going on where I, again, that was never for me. And I did see, as you said, there were people there who could never leave because they were so financially geared that it, the salary was already gone. Or, or, they, or they had a view that I'm going to do this for 20 years, I'm going to buy four houses, and then I'm going to live off the income from those. And that never appealed to me. Um, but I did have a year where I, I made, I earned before tax, it was £111,000. And I thought, that is an obscene amount. For me, that was an obscene amount of money. And I was amazed to have made it. I was like, oh my God, I remember telling my father-in-law, I was like, oh my God. I, and he was, <laughs> I know he was like, what? What did you work for some Mickey Mouse IT company? Don't even do anything real. Um, and, it, and it is outrageous. You know, I know people that work in, work in the healthcare sector and, and, and it's, it's wrong, but that is how it works. So I celebrated it. I loved it. I took the money and I stuck it in the mortgage because I thought, you know, you don't always get that opportunity. Um, and then I left. <laughs> well, and this is very interesting because you put yourself in this place where you mm. then go transition into freelancing. And, yeah. you know, what I find really interesting is having built three businesses over the years and really not made any money for a very, very long time. Um, mm. It was it was really interesting. The first job I had out of university, uh, I didn't. I then didn't earn that same amount of money until like 10 years later when I, you know, when I was, cause I quit, I quit that job and I trained full time for the Olympics, which you don't make any money doing that. And then when I came back, I had to build back up my career, got to a place where I'd gotten just above the salary I'd had when I'd started my career and wow. then got married and started all over again. And then it was like, <laughs> you know, then I went, then I went and built these three businesses, but you know, I worked for five years without an income, the first business. And then the second wow. business, I was like, I'm not doing that. Uh, and I'm, you know, and so I changed my system a little bit, but it took me a while to get my head around money mindset. And, you know, what you believe really dictates what you make, what you do and what yeah. you're capable of. And, and it's, it's so interesting uh, to hear other people's stories on the financial side, because everyone's got their own, you know, I think that what your story says, which is so true of most financial stories, is that your childhood plays a huge part in the decisions you make. And, yeah. you know, I think, uh, and then I think also, then how you experience things later then drive um, how you think. And then unless you change the way you think, uh, you you carry on doing what you're doing, whatever it is. So it, it's so interesting. The most important thing to understand in this whole thread is that your thoughts really make make the decisions for you. If you're not consciously changing your thoughts, then the decisions are being made unconsciously or subconsciously. So let's talk about this major decision. You know, you got to that point. You said, okay, you've kind of made it and you could have kept on going with that career, but you dropped everything and moved to freelance. Tell us more about that and what what building back up from there was. Yeah, okay, so there were, uh, I guess, a few contributing factors. Uh, one was I got the job I always wanted and I hated it. And I was like, oh, you know, I've asked for this job like three times and now I've got it and it's not for me. And it was bruising. I mean, it was, I 
didn't enjoy it. I remember having a quarterly business review that just went to went to hell. It was awful. I ended up crying. I mean, you think, why am I like this at work? This is not what I come to work to do. Um, that said, there were lots of things going on outside of work. And this is why I think things have changed. I hope they have changed in lots of organizations. So two members of my family, two women that had become mothers at the same time as me, became very seriously ill. And one of them died. And then one of my friends was diagnosed with cancer. She'd been, become a mother at the same time as me. And I thought, where do I wanna be spending my time? And I was working very long hours and our daughter was at after school club and she <laughs> she hated us for that one um and she's going to a full-time nursery no worries like you'd race to drop them off at eight and then you'd be racing to pick them up at six but i think school was a whole new experience for her and uh i think the decision kind of came to be made for me and i spoke to my husband so i was earning a lot more than him you know, really, if you if you only looked at it financially, he should have been the one to change his work. Um, and uh, he said, I love you and I fully support you. But how on earth are you going to make some money? <laughs> and we looked at that. What were the options? One was we take our son out of nursery. We save ourselves a ton of money and I take a job. But what I did do, and this was so, so valuable, I spoke to people that I worked with. Um, there were a few people that I trusted who were great mentors to me. And one person in particular, his name's Sean, and uh, Sean was a director. He had run his own business, successfully sold a couple of businesses. I absolutely love him to bits. And I said to him, look, I, I want to leave. What should I do? And he said, here's a great tip for you, Tony. He said, even though you want to like, you know, burn your laptop and stand in the atrium going, I'm leaving. Um, he said, uh, speak to some people. So I was a partner account manager. He said, speak to the partners and ask them if you were if I were freelance, would you hire me? Would you contract me? Which I did. So I started to speak to people and I said, if I did this, would you hire me? And they were like, yeah. Well, ah, OK. So it was that process of starting to talk about what I wanted to do with people that I trusted and respected built up that base for me to then take a step out and build my own business so it wasn't a I stopped and then I started from nothing it was a fairly rapid process but I had some great advice. So again, I spoke to some other people who said, set yourself up as a limited company because I did not want to risk my house on the basis of my business. So it was, I was extremely well equipped, I think, in terms of, you know, here are some key things to do, Tony. Here are some conversations to have. And then because I had built a network without kind of realizing it, I suppose you work for a big company and that happens. And people offered me my first contracts and and I think had I not taken that step and what's really interesting is afterwards and still today people have said to me what's it like outside Tony <laughs> I was like the water's lovely come on but people are afraid and I thought well the worst has already happened in my life you know what is the worst that can happen so I've got that element of the worst has happened before I can cope with what comes next. But also I was well prepared. So I did seek advice and I acted on it. Um, and whilst I wanted to make a rash decision, I didn't. I kind of you know, vented that elsewhere.
There's some great tips in here. And I think if someone's multitasking <laughs> they, and, they're, and they're listening on replay, they got to pause and go back and just listen to that. A couple of years ago, I put a stake in the ground and I said, women who have taken a career break should go back to work first. They should go get a job first, build up their network and then go freelance. Yeah. I told women to do exactly what you just did. And the reason for it is if you've been out with a career break and you haven't maintained those relationships or you haven't been in the game for a while, getting back into a job gives you that network immediately that you can yeah. leverage within a couple of years to launch yourself over. And what I love is the advice you got that you started asking people, would you hire me if I went freelance? Because uh, that is such a key indicator because if they say yes, then, it make, then that, that gives you the ability to do that. And it's so interesting because I did not do that. So I, <laughs> I, I just, I listened to you say that with such calm, such precision. There's so many things you've done that I have not done. And I, I wish I had you as a mentor in my life because I, I just love what you're saying. And there's so much truth in that. Um, and you know, for some women that are just dead keen on start, starting a business, which was me, you know, where I didn't have the networks and I just went ahead and did it and did it anyway. It was a it was a harder journey um, for sure. But I think, uh, you know, everyone has their own journey and there's a reason for that. And, you know, I know COVID has hurt a lot of people, particularly women, particularly women from diverse backgrounds, mm. um, you know, who are in not as good of a position potentially to be doing office work remotely. But mm. what I will say is for those who are able to do office work remotely, and have kind of positioned themselves to be able to work from a computer uh, at, you know, there is an opportunity for women to get jobs like there was no opportunity before. I know you could make an argument either way. I tend to be the person who looks glass half full and I, I look at COVID and I think, you know, for all the awful things it did, it also gave us some really nice things. I mean, really simple example. I mean, <laughs> my son uh, unfortunately fell and got a buckle uh, a buckle fracture in his arm and he's got to go back for an x-ray. Well, yeah. in the, before COVID, they would have made us go up to the JR and sit in this fracture unit for like a day uh, yeah. and wait for eight hours. And actually now, because of COVID, what we have to do is go back to this place, get an x-ray. They send it over virtually. They get It gets looked at virtually. And then they, you know, and then they, I mean, you don't have to wait. We only have to wait like one hour. So there's Pretty some weird things, weird systems and processes that, you know, could have been in place prior to COVID, which are now in place yeah. after COVID. And one of those systems and processes is the ability for women to work remotely and flexibly and men to work remotely and flexibly. The number of yeah. men who have been able to move to working remotely and flexibly during this pandemic is absolutely incredible. And we've always said, once you get the men on board, that's when things change for the women. And unfortunately, it's still that way, but it's very much that way because that's the way that it's been built up over centuries. Um, but I love, love, love that you made that transition. I love how you did it. Uh, and so tell us what you do now and what you're, what you're up to now and what your life looks like yeah. now. Yeah, and, and there's probably some alignment with the, the kind of things that you do in the Tech Pixies community does. So um, something that we were told to do at Microsoft, was they said, oh, you should blog. And I was like, I couldn't give a flying monkeys about virtualization. I can't write about it and tell me to blog. What are you on about? And then I left and then I started blogging because I was like, hallelujah. I was like, check out what it's like on the outside. And I started writing about being a woman in tech, about raising children, um, 
about fashion in the countryside, um, Jack Wolfskin jackets for everybody, uh, just about all the things that were going on in life. And so whilst I was being a, an alliances manager, working freelance, I'd started writing. And a really interesting thing happened. And that was that people I knew in my network who were now chief marketing officers, for example, were saying to me, oh, Tony, I'm supposed to be blogging, but I can't do it. I haven't got time. I'm being an exec. I haven't got time to put what's in my head onto a page. And I started ghostwriting. And I love it. I absolutely love it. So I get to interview someone because I really love people. And I type fast because of what I learned at college. And I write like a human. And so I started to do that. So that became a strand to what I did. And that led to things I do today, like I script webinars. I've written raps for sales directors. I mean, I get to have a lot of fun. So I do a lot of writing work. Um, and I published a couple of books. I'd always written. And then the blogs that I wrote, people said to me, oh, that'd be great in a book. So I've got a couple of books called Reasons to be Cheerful, because I am like you, glass half full. And what being freelance allowed me to do was to run my professional and creative life in tandem publicly without worrying about whether it interfered with what the organization wanted to do what pr said we were allowed to say and um, i gradually moved from alliances work into full-time writing work so scripting ghostwriting webinars presentations and at some point, I went to an event where we were given a challenge and you had to make yourself a, a promise. And I promised myself I would be more honest and less afraid. So if I was honest, I wanted to perform. But what I was afraid of was that proper catastrophic stuff. I was afraid my friends would hate me. My husband would leave me. Um, nobody would speak to me. Everybody would say, what are you doing that for? I would be judged harshly. All these things you have no control over. And also you are wrong. So um, I did an open mic night. I got up on stage. I'd been writing some poetry and sharing that on LinkedIn about hoovering up loom bands and tights that don't fit and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it and it was really well received. And from there, again, by putting myself out there, opportunities from my network started to happen. So Sarah, who runs SmartWorks Charity, SmartWorks Reading, you know, she said, oh, we need to compare. You'd be good at that. So I compared their event. And then people like Rachel said, oh, Tony, I saw you at the SmartWorks thing. Do you want to compare Gossip Girls? So I, I did that. And then I um, started doing some pure stand-up. And the thing that I came to realize, just to kind of shorten it down a bit, is what I, what I do most of my material on is my kind of social mobility story. So what, what is it like to go from, you know, <laughs> going to a meat raffle where you win meat to being at a raffle where you could win a week in Marbella? What does that feel like? I mean, these are the worlds that I've had to occupy. So from there, I found that organizations want to talk about this stuff. These, this is hard to talk about. They want to bring in people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. They want to support their employees who have had a disadvantaged start in life, but they don't know how to talk about it. So today, um, I do stand up on social mobility. for. So I'm doing a session for KPMG, Coopers. 
Um, I was involved in Tech Talent Charter yesterday, working lunch, talking about that. So I'm doing some really interesting, you know, people say it aligns massively to my values, interesting work, and I'm getting paid for it. Uh, and I also do workshops on embracing risk and taking chances and sharing some of the things that I learned. Oh my gosh, I just love it. I love it so much. And I love, you know, one thing that you said was you, you kind of, I can't remember the exact words you used, but it was along the lines of you became visible. And in our Social Media Superhero Bootcamp, we uh, have a whole session. One of the superpowers is taking off the invisibility cloak. And it's something I say every woman has. That's their superpower. Mm. Like they've got this invisibility cloak and most of them are wearing it. And, yeah. you know, what I loved was let's be true to myself and let's face this fear that I have. I There's mm. something really beautiful in that. It gives me chills, really. Honestly, I'm not joking. Like I've got proper chills. But oh. I think. I think it gives me chills because so many women need to hear the story. So many women need to hear your story. And, uh, and there's so there's so many good nuggets in here. I mean, for example, when you were able to not be completely tied into the corporate side of things, your creativity came out and yeah. that's where you aligned yourself with the things that really made you tick and your values. You said your values. I mean, we harp on and on and on and on about values at Tech Pixies. And whenever someone's looking for a job or wants to set up a business and they're kind of stuck at what do I do next? I always say, well, what are your values? What are your values? Get clear on your values, because if you know what your values are, you then start to attract people who have similar values. And it's this attraction, this law of attraction, where you're starting to think about what you really want and start to really like hone in on who you really are, that this creates this synergy and then things start moving in the right direction for you. And you've done all that. Um, by being true to yourself, you know, and by facing the fears that you had and moving forward. What's your top tip for kind of pushing through fear? And we had a great um, coaching call last night with some of our more advanced students, our progression students who have finished our program and they're really making some big moves in their careers and their, their businesses. And, you know, the, the overwhelming thing that kept coming up is this fear, you know, and you talked about it, you know, this, this irrational fear, like people are going to hate me and, you know, my yeah. husband's going to leave me. What's your top tip on facing the fear and doing it anyway and being true to yourself? So I'll, I'll share with you something I learned from my coach, Steph. She made me do it. I felt so uncomfortable, but I did it. And she said to me, so she said, what do you want to do, Tony? And I said, oh, I want to do stand-up. I want to do stand-up. She's like, right, okay, fine. You want to do stand-up, Tony? Yes. Can you say that? Yes. And I want to do stand-up. She's like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the absolute worst thing? So I was like, easy peasy. Yeah. You know, that's what's going to leave me. I fall off the stage. Uh, people will boo me, throw things at me. Someone will write about it on the internet and mock me. That's that I had a list like this. And she said, okay, then what's the greatest thing that could happen? I thought, what? She goes, go on, say the most outrageously good thing that could happen. I go, and even now, and see, this is giving me chills because I hate it. I went, um, she's like, go really big, Tony, really massive. I was like, okay, I could be on the O2, <laughs> like, like Sarah, I'd be like Sarah Millican and I have my own DVD. And I just, the thought of saying it was so horrible. You wouldn't want to be sick in my mouth. Ugh. And I said it out loud. <laughs> She's like, how did that feel? I thought, just awful, awful, awful. She's like, right, so you've now got a frame of reference. Worst thing, most amazing thing, most outrageous thing. She's like, somewhere in the middle is going to be what actually happens. And I thought, oh, yeah. So it helped. It really helped me because 
I guess there's a thing about limiting beliefs in there. If you can imagine it at the most outrageously positive, enormous scale, then you are already going beyond that, you know, just two steps forward. That's so true. And actually, one of the best books I know about upper limits is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And I do okay. think I think it's one of the best books ever. And I just want to just pause here for a second and just if you if anyone's listening to this podcast and they go, wow, this is a really good interview. And then they think back to some of the other really good interviews. Almost everyone that I interview, I would say almost universally, they have coaches, right? You are investing in a coach. I'm investing in. I have two coaches. I have a business coach. I have a uh, like a spiritual personal coach. Yeah. I have, you know, I have I have invested in coaching for myself for several years now. And, uh, and probably actually, if I, if I, if I'm being really honest, the very first coach I invested in was the coach that we brought into the Tech Pixies program when Tech Pixies started. So I've been being coached since 2015 in that kind of way. Uh, and the transformation I've seen just by having coaches has been incredible. So, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they've never invested in a coach or they've never invested in a program to me, that if that is one of the best things that you can do. And if you listen to these interviews, you will hear a common thread. Hannah Martin from Talented Ladies Club, she has coaches. Um, you know, Lisa Johnson, you know, she has coaches. Renee Warren, she has coaches. We all have coaches. One of my favorite people in the whole wide world is Desmond Tutu. And I know Lachelle's watching this and she loves Desmond Tutu too. But he, <laughs> but one of the things that he talks about is Ubuntu. And, I'm, and I've said, I know I've said that incorrectly because someone did correct me on it. And then now I don't know how to actually say it, but that's how I say it in my head. I think it might be Ubuntu, but the point is people are people because of other people. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he understands that. And in Africa, they understand that they understand this concept of community and they understand this concept of, you know, multi-generational and, and multi-dimensional, multi-level relationships that keep people moving forward. We are not meant to live this world alone. We are not meant to do things in this world alone. And, and one of the things that I would say is some of the coaches that I've worked with, they would say that dream of the O2 is possible, right? Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the work that, that I do on the neuro coaching side, the sick feeling you got when you felt mm -hmm. the big crazy dream, mm -hmm. that's the subconscious reprogramming that we can do through neuro coaching that says that's possible if you want it. And at the end of the yeah. day, it all comes down to if you want it. Yeah, and, and that is key. So it's two things. One is if you're working by yourself, you, you need a coach more than anybody. I never needed a coach more when I went freelance massively valuable that's got to be part of your business plan um and the other thing is i think it's that if you want it if you can't imagine it and try it on for size that really big thing you know that that's how you figure out is that what i want and actually today you know the stuff i'm doing i love it and i couldn't have imagined it actually prior to doing that exercise of just sort of figuring out where was it i wanted to be what was it i wanted to do what would that look like yeah and i love the ubuntu <laughs> Oh, I think yeah. it's, it's oh, programming yeah. language, isn't it? Open source as well. There's well, that's, a, um, that's the, people with their arms around each other. That's the font we use at TechPixies. Oh. So our, our font is Ubuntu. I, I you know, oh. I was reading a book Love when it. I first started TechPixies. I was reading a whole bunch of Desmond Tutu books. Like I've read every single book he's ever written. Yeah. And wow. when he talked about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is amazing. And then to find out that there was actually a font 
was like, that's it. I got, and that's what I mean. You know, look, when we talk about values, that's what I mean. That mm. is what I mean. Does your supply chain match up with your values? Does mm. your font in your business match up with your values? Right. Mm. And um, it's just so important. I, I, I This has been a wonderful uh, 40 minutes. I am so thankful that I uh, got to spend it with you. And I can tell you we have rescheduled and scheduled and rescheduled and scheduled <laughs> and rescheduled this meeting, but it needed to be in this series. It needed to be in the financial empowerment series. And it really, uh, there's a really strong message here. And I really am going to encourage a lot of women, especially those women who are trying to figure out, you know, can I do this if I've come out of uh, a council uh, estate? Can I do this if I want to leave my corporate job? I mean, you've just done it all. And, you know, one of the things that you've done it all with is other people. And yeah. you've also you've also been open to to be, be being coached. And and I do think that coaching gets you through the fear and gets you to being who you are true to yourself. And you have just demonstrated that in such a beautiful way. Um, I just, you know, I feel so privileged and lucky to get to spend this time with you. And I just want to thank you for being here. Oh, I've loved it. I feel a little bit emotional, Joy. Thank you. Give me the right energy for the day. Uh, I just, you know, that's also the other thing. I mean, of course, uh, in, biblically speaking, I mean, I, I know not everyone who's listening to this is a Christian, but, you know, where in, in the Bible, it says where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. And I always feel like when you are in, in presence with someone else and you're fully there and fully connected, there's that beautiful energy that passes between you. So I do wish you ha to have a wonderful day. And if you're listening to the podcast or you're watching this podcast, uh, I want to thank you for being here. I'll show you something very quickly. I'll grab it, show you. This sort of sums it up because it plays to what you were saying about capes. This image is so important to me. Can you see that? Okay, it's so a, I'm just going to describe it for podcast listeners. It's a Lego woman who's dressed as a star trooper. Yeah, Stormtrooper, yeah. And she's taken oh. off her helmet and she's shaking out her pink hair. And and to me, that represented kind of taking off the armor and showing people who I really was. And it's really hard. It's so hard to do that sometimes. And the more I've done it, the more I enjoy it. And like you say, the better energy you get. But I, I, I don't underestimate how difficult it is. I completely understand people that go, oh, God, I couldn't do that right now. It's too hard. The power of neuro coaching and coaching is there for that, you know? Yeah. So because you're right, there's a and we say in neuro coaching, we say there's three things that people want. They want to feel valued, loved and safe. If mm. they don't feel valued, loved or safe, it's almost impossible to do additional work with them. And I did it. Mm. I was working with a clinical psychologist over the weekend. Or I was in a mastermind with her. She was explaining that most people are below the line. They're in this mm. survival or um, escapism mode. We need to get them above the line and you you know, and then once they're above the line, then they can focus on the being and the doing and the legacy, which is the way she yeah. explained it. But if you're below the line, if you're in that survival mode or that escape mode uh, and, you know, the escape mode could be alcohol, could be drugs, could be other things. Uh, survival is just getting by every day and not yeah. you know, when you're in those places, you can't you, you can't break out of them without help. And that's where yeah. the neuro coaching and the coaching can get people into a safe, you know, I feel safe, I feel loved, I feel valued, I'm worthy. Then once you've got that groundwork done, we can start doing all the other stuff, start working on the upper limit stuff, but you can't work on the upper limit stuff if you're not out of the lower limit, right? 
So, you know, this work is so important and your story is so incredible. And I just, yeah, again, thank you for a wonderful day, a wonderful hour. And I wish you the absolute best this week. And we'll definitely have to catch up in person. And I think we're going to need you when we get our events back uh, up in person. We're going to need you comparing for us. (laughs) Yes, I'm there. I'm there. Thank you, Joy. All right, Tony. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.